So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. You know what? I know a lot of people in this crazy world have been trying to figure out how to invest, where they should go. A lot of people have seen prices not come down like they thought they would and are confused about how to invest and that there may not be any opportunity. Well, I've got a guest today that I'm so excited to bring on, Sean, because he invests in high-priced areas all the time. In fact, he's probably in the highest-priced market that there is, but yet he is still an active investor he is also dealing on the hard money side. This is going to be a great podcast for everybody, but without, I don't want to give away a lot, so we're just going to go ahead and bring Sean in with that. So, Sean, how's it going? AJ, thank you for having me on the show today. Yeah, I'm happy that you came on. I, you know, I'm really excited to talk to you because this is a, it's an interesting subject that I know a lot of people starting out in real estate can struggle with, particularly in most of the largest markets in the United States. And I'm I'm just excited to hear about how you're investing from the Bay Area, right? You're you're in the Bay Area. And uh, you know, real quick before we 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 get started in learning about your 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 path, all that, why don't you tell us the end? You know, where are you at today? Yeah. So basically most of my portfolio consists of buy and hold properties over in Jacksonville, Florida. As you can imagine, buying and holding in the Bay Area is quite difficult because the price points to the rent ratios aren't really quite there. So most of my cash flowing properties are out of state, but most of the active income comes from flipping or wholesaling here in the Bay Area. Okay. So this is interesting. You're holding outside your home market, but you're generating that capital which you buy your properties in your home area. That's correct. That's a beautiful thing, man. I love that. You're taking advantage of the discrepancies that the United States offers you without having fear to be right in your backyard. So before we get into your overall strategy, um, give me a little background here. First of all, how old are you and how'd you get started in this game? Yeah, so I'm 30 years old now. I got started about four years ago. Basically, I tried a lot of different businesses in the past. You know, I studied as an electrical engineer when I was in school. And after working for some time, I realized that I didn't want to be in that, you know, W-2, nine-to-five job for the rest of my life. I tried to figure out how I can achieve financial freedom as soon as possible. And it just happened to be I was browsing a lot of Quora.com. They said that real estate investing was a great place to start. You know, it was either that or Bitcoin, and I didn't feel that Bitcoin was going to be my way of achieving financial freedom. I liked how uh, resources like Bigger Pockets and different meetup groups were just so open to giving you free information, and they basically taught us how to invest in real estate. So after going to several meetup groups for a year or so, I started buying properties over in Jacksonville, Florida. At the time, I was just using what I had for my salary to buy these properties. And by what going to these meetup groups, I was working as a systems engineer making satellites for the government. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was a fun job, but you know, after a while you realize that uh, this isn't really the way that you're going to achieve financial freedom. And by going to these different meetup groups here in the Bay Area, I realized that a lot of people here, they don't buy here in the Bay Area because again, price to rent ratios aren't quite there. You're going to be paying thousands of dollars every single month just to hold onto the property, but they do flip here. And by flipping here, 
a lot of my friends make over seven figures a year by flipping houses in the Bay Area. So I figured if they can do it, why not I? And so I started learning more about the trade. Okay. You know, we got a few things we got to dive into here. This is, this is cool for a few reasons. First of all, you're 30. You decided for yourself, you're going after financial freedom. You're looking at different wealth vehicles, right? You chose the right and went down real estate and not down Bitcoin. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're, you are in like the epicenter of entrepreneurship and technology. What led you? What, why, why did you decide to go down real estate? What led you down that way? So real estate seemed to be like, I would say like the safest, you know, quote unquote, safest method to entrepreneurship. So for example, if you start your own tech business, you either make it really, really, really big, or for the most part, you go bust. There's very little in between. But at least with real estate, there's a cash flow perspective of it. So even though you don't hit a home run, at least you're generating passive cash flow with every property you purchase, if you do it correctly. Yes. Yes. I love that. You know, it's, it's something that I, I talk with a lot of people about. And obviously, so many of us go, go through this, you know, where do we put our capital? How do we do this? How do we grow? A lot of people are comfortable going and saying, I'm going to go create a, a, a business and take on a lot of that. Um, because when you're, it's a business, you know, you don't real estate. Perfect example is your holdings are clear across the country. Literally you're on the other ocean <laughs> and um, they're clear over there. But yet, you know, with a business, you got to be managing so much. You're it's obviously high risk. And a lot of people don't feel comfortable starting out there. And so real estate offers a lot of people this, this pathway, but yet there tends to be a lot of hurdles. Your first hurdle was obviously pricing because you're in the Bay Area. When you started looking at houses, how, how did you pinpoint Florida? Like where, where did this start coming? So when you were doing your analysis or when you're looking at jumping in the game, what led you to say, I'm going to go not only... Not only am I not going to be in my market, I'm going to go all the way to the other coast and invest over there. What, what brought that on? Yeah. So for anyone who is looking into purchasing real estate for the buy and hold cash flow perspective, I think the first thing that they do teach you is to try to invest in your backyard if you can. But then the second part is they teach you how to do the analysis. So I did that. I did the analysis. At the time, I was actually living in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is also as expensive, you know, as the Bay Area, right? So we're not seeing cash flow, not to mention in Los Angeles, there's a huge rent control um, section, right? So you can't even raise rents to market value. Ultimately, I decided, okay, if I can't invest here, where else can I invest in? And there are thousands of cities in the United States. How do you pick Florida? It's a common question I get all the time. So basically what I did was I was just going to all the different real estate meetup groups. I was browsing the forums, looking at top 10 lists. And essentially, you look for the lists, and essentially look for the cities that show up the most often on these top 10 lists. You know, for every top 10 list, there's going to be a different city in the number one spot. But if you consistently see a city in the top 10 list, then at least there is some sort of like understanding that this city has potential. And then you can do more research into it. Like, where's the population growth? Where's the job growth? And then you can see where the market rents relative to the market prices for the home. And then once you decide on the location, then you can go on to step two, which is finding your team, which I think is equally as important as your location. Okay, but were you were you nervous about that? I mean, you know, you're looking around because, um, you know, I'm from a market that's not nearly as, as 
bubbly, so to speak, is, is your market, right? Your markets are soaring. The, I, I mean, you're talking LA and the Bay Area, which consistently hit the highest prices like in the world, not just the United States. I'm in a market, you know, Boise, Idaho, where Californians look at it and say, wow, that is cheap. But for me, the, the market I'm in, cash flow is actually really hard to find because we have such low wages and everything's like that. So I never actually got into it because it's spread. And when I looked over at um, other markets, so I, I was kind of looking at going into the Midwest, things like that. I'm not going to lie. I was totally chilling out. Um, what, how did you overcome that? And what was your first, first deal? And it, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that wasn't even, you weren't scared of that at all. It didn't bother you. How did you get comfortable doing it? Yeah, so uh, not to sound like I have a lot of money or anything, but the price points in Jacksonville, Florida are not that expensive, especially compared to what we have here in the Bay Area. Houses in Jacksonville are at least 10 times cheaper than what we have here in the Bay. So I figure, okay, my down payment is going to be less than $20,000. What am I really risking here if the rent is going to be nine hundred? That can cover my mortgage, my insurance, you know, everything. Um, and then getting cash flow on top of that seems like a pretty good deal. So the math just made sense. The math just made sense. I mean, I think the hardest part is trusting people. So when you're first starting, you don't know where you're going to go. And I, you know, I'm not from Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know anyone there. So I had to rely on a team. And I think that is the scariest part. And how did you set up your team? Because I know a lot of people hear this, right? And I, I'm one of them. I'm like, listen, you know, wealth, investing, economic success, financial freedom is not a solo sport. This is not golf. It is a team sport. How did you go about getting a team? And how did you audit them? And did you have problems with that? I mean, because once again, it's clear across the country. I think the first thing you have to realize is that no one's going to do a job as good as you were going to do. So you just have to accept that fact. Are you going to be okay with having someone do 80% of what you can do? And if that's the case, then, you know, go ahead and work with them. So the way that I found my team was actually through bigger pockets. So on bigger pockets, once I decided I want to invest in Jacksonville, Florida, I didn't know anything about Jacksonville, Florida. So you have to go on like forums. And what I did was I went on a forum, biggerpockets.com, and I just typed in what is the best, like what are some good areas to invest in in Jacksonville? Like give me some zip codes, give me some whatever. And there are a lot of people who are actually there who are going to tell you what's good and what's not good. Most of these people are agents who want to work with you because they know that you have cash and you're going to buy houses. From all the people who respond, you can see who is kind, who is willing to share information. You can even call them. And during the call, some people are going to be you know, very helpful. Some of them are going to be very curt. Some people won't call you back. You basically find people that you enjoy talking to, who enjoy working with, and you start working with them. So step one, I would say, find your deal source, your agent or your wholesaler. I would say use bigger pockets, do what I did. And then step two is you need to find a good property manager. So property managers can either be found by one, you know, cold calling a list by looking at Google search, but better yet, have the person that you found that you like working with refer you to a property management company, someone that they like. And the way I say it is A players refer other A players. Okay. I want to point out a few things that, I, that I'm really interested in. First of all, the simplicity of the process that you're going through, um, I love. And a lot of people, I don't think, realize that, you know, if you went back 10, 15 years ago, the amount of information that you could get a hold of it is nothing like it is today. Um, I mean, it's just not. 
your ability to analyze a market and get good, reliable information and connect with people that are actually doing it is unprecedented. I mean, those barriers of entry have not been pulled down. They've been obliterated. Uh, our, our first deal that we did was, um, you know, not nearly as far as yours, but it was a nine plus hour drive, right? I was not going to go drive to the site, but like you, I knew if I was going to do it, I was going to do it when the deal made sense, right? I was going to do it because it was convenient for me or because that, because there's way more risk. People are like, oh, I'm worried it's too risky. I'm like, it's way more risky to do a bad deal near you than a good deal away from you. So I really like your mentality. The numbers made sense. And then you broke it down into an actionable thing. I need a team and I need a trustworthy team. So tell me more about the team that you went back. First of all, you, you reached out to other people, but how did you find the um, the management company? And did you interview them? Did you go out and meet them? Um, you know, how how did you get comfortable with that group? Because this is this is key to your success doing this. Absolutely, and you know, the property management team is actually what makes or breaks you, because the agent is going to only help you buy the property, maybe sell it, but then afterwards you don't really talk to them as much. But your property management team is the one who is making sure that everything is on the up and up, that you're collecting rents, that you're repairing things when they need to be repaired. And you also make sure they're not skimming from you, right? Um, again, this was a referral, again, from the agent that I was working with, who I really enjoyed working with, and I trusted his judgment and character. Um, this property management group is very experienced. I you know, talked to him over the phone, and he's reminding me a lot of my own father. So I thought, okay, I understand his mentality. He seems like a very good person, very trustworthy person. And I called other companies, but they didn't seem to give me the time of day or the care that I wanted, especially because if you're starting out, you probably only have maybe one or two properties under management. And if they have a whole portfolio of like 200 properties under management, you're just going to be a blip on their radar. They may not take as much care as your property as you would want. But, you know, I didn't actually go to Jacksonville until I was acquiring my third property. And that's when I met the whole team and I saw my properties. So basically about everything side unseen. There's something about just doing that I, I don't know. That's, that's great. Now, it, this is an important point, though, and, and I want to want to hit on this some more. Different companies, although they may be good, like you may find a property management company that's the best in the state, but may, they may be the worst because maybe they're the best in the state because of volume, and they do so many big deals. But if you have one, two, five properties, they may go, listen, we don't care if you come or go, so you're not worth our time allocating, you know, capital, resources, period, to you. And where they may be the best, all of a sudden you feel like you're the, you know, forgotten person that is the, the thorn in their side. I have been the thorn in the side of many vendors. And I don't like that feeling that I'm sitting here going, I'm paying you. Yet you seem not to care. So you've got to get the trust. But two, the fit has to be right. And you may grow out of it, right? And that happened to me. I, when I started, I used different vendors uh, than I do today because I, I grew out of them. But the most important thing by far, particularly when you're not at the site every day, is the trust factor. I would pay more for someone that I trusted and I knew that you know would, would have my back um, than, than get, a, get a good deal because it's going to cost more in the long term. But you'd acquired three properties and for the first time ever met them. When you decided, 
when you first interviewed this property management company, was were you writing off the the referrals of the people on bigger pockets, or just the agent? Uh, it was just this particular agent that I was working with already to help me find deals in the first place. And they had an ongoing relationship where uh, the agent, this person, they knew each other and had background, and so you knew that you could trust them. Okay, I like exactly. That. I like that. And what now, as far as your second property, did you keep them like in the same neighborhood, or did you? They're all in the same city, correct? Yeah, they're all for the most part in Jacksonville or maybe one city below Jacksonville. Um, and in a similar location, basically on the west side, because I was told the northwest side is not that great. When I went to go visit it, I drove around those areas and I was like, yeah, those ones are not that great. When you got the second house, were you convinced on this market because of the economics that you, you read? Was it a long-term outlook? Was it just the price point? Was it connections? I mean, what kind of solidified, because you've never been there, uh, in your mind, this market? Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. So basically, I think anyone who's listening to this will understand this, but when you buy your first property, you usually get so excited that you want to buy your second property as soon as possible because you realize the process isn't that hard. Once you find a house, okay, you put in an offer, get accepted, and you get a loan. That's it. Well, once that happened, you know, the, the thing that holds people back is usually the fear, and the fear is usually gone once you buy that first house. So I was actually in escrow for the first property. I haven't even closed on it yet, but I already saw how smooth the deal went. I already saw the potential rents that I can get from the property that I was confident enough to say, I'm gonna buy my second house. Now, the second property was actually acquired very interestingly. It's not the same way, like I didn't buy from the MLS. Um, someone who uh, you know, had an inside scoop of an auction property told me that this property could be acquired for around 40,000, even though it was quote unquote estimated to be sold for 60,000. But because it was estimated at 60,000, no one really wanted to bid on it. So I said, okay, they only want 40,000, let's do 40,000 and $1. So we won the bid, but, but it's a huge risk because now you're buying an auction property. We did no due diligence, you can't go inside the house. You, you know, you have no idea. After I told my property manager, hey, I got this new property. He's like, wow, I can't believe you did that. But luckily the house was in decent condition there was someone who was living there, a squatter, and we had to pay them to leave. But luckily, the you know, quote-unquote cash for keys was actually pretty cheap, only cost $300, which he basically had you know, six crisp $50 bills that he, she, he kind of like wafted in her face saying, hey, if you want this money, you know, leave by Friday. And she, 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 she took it. So no problems there. So your team, was this a turnkey? Like I know a lot of people that invest out of state use turnkey options where there's a company that basically puts everything in place for them, the team, everything. Did you utilize that or did you go build this out on your own, your system? I did not use a turnkey property. And the reason why I didn't do that is because I think they take up too much equity. So for example, if a property would rent for you know, $1,200, they would say, hey, we can sell you this property at $120,000 to meet the 1% rule. And most people who just want cash flow say, okay, it's a good deal. But in reality, you could have probably bought that house for 60,000, done the renovation yourself for under 30 and had the property for like 90,000. So basically you're giving up 30K to use this turnkey service. Now I'm young, I have energy, I have money, whatever. Like I don't mind spending in the time and effort to create the team myself and to do the rehabs myself. How much more, um, how much more time and effort do, though, do you really think it is to do it, to do it that way? Is it not? Yeah. It's because not. I'm not the one doing it, right? Exactly. I, you never even went there. <laughs> yeah, my property manager was basically my project manager for the rehab. 
you know, it was a $40,000 auction property. It was obviously not well-maintained. So we did have to put in some work into it, but it wasn't really that much. I think $15,000 as a whole to bring it back up to rentable condition. And now it rents for eight fifty a month. So I'm very happy with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're doing much better than the 1% rule. Now, when you bought your second house, you, tell me about getting renters in. Did the first house already have a renter in place? Yeah. So when I bought the first house, one of the reasons why I was able to get it at a discount is because there were already tenants in place and the sellers were actually investors who were a little bit older who just want to cash out. Now, as you guys know, if there's a tenant who lives in the house, you can't just kick them out just because you want to sell the home. So that limited the buyer pool to only investors. And that's why I was able to get it for a good deal. Got it. That makes sense. And the, now the next one, you you got the person out, you had to renovate it. And so you have your rehab team. So did you get the rehab team from the property management company or how did you find the contractors and everybody to rehab it? Yes. Yeah, so I actually outsourced all of that work to my property manager. So oh, nice. he already had a crew that he works with and then he just brought them in, did the job. And how long did that take? How long was it under uh, like construction, I guess? From what I remember, it was under a month. Okay. So it was, it wasn't, it wasn't substantial. And how long no. did it take you to get a renter in? Um, you know, this was like three years ago. I don't really remember, but yeah. I would say within two weeks. Oh, okay. So it, we, I mean, they're not sitting empty. You're not having problems. And how do you work with the, the renters in place? How are you ensuring, or I guess your property management company, um, since you can't see these people, anything else like that, how are you ensuring, what is the property management company doing to get good tenants in and protect that property? Yeah. So for the inherited tenants, you just want to make sure that they're paying rent and doing everything as they said they would. I had no problems with that. Again, this was back in late 2016. Um, when we had new people come in, again, no real problems. I think the property management's job is to properly screen tenants to make sure that they're able to pay their rent on time. And you, you got your third property. You actually went to see all these properties you're accumulating. <laughs> so That's right. uh, you got your third one and you went down and checked it out. And how many do you have now? Um, just those three. Just those so the three. third one was a fourplex. So I went in there oh, and I okay. saw the fourplex and I was like, oh, it's very cool. All right. And how much cash flow are you getting from your properties now? Um, I would say nets around 2000 a month. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And you are then, okay. So this is your outside, um, let, let's call it cash flow machine, but your wealth generating machine or your capital machine to put into your cash flow machine that's coming from flipping houses in your home area so walk me through what you're doing there and how you even got started like how do you get started just flipping home you had your job do you still are you still working full-time or no i actually left the position almost a year ago but okay. basically what happened was i was working a job full-time i was going to all these real estate meetup groups i was hanging out with a lot of big time seven figure flippers and i was saying man, how are they doing it? But by just showing up consistently, I was actually handed over a deal. And that one deal just happened to do very, very, very well. And it gave me all these you know, crazy ideas thinking, oh man, I could do this full time. But yeah, basically I was given the deal. I didn't do anything special. Uh, yeah, it was just basically by showing up. I, that is such a, uh, an interesting way though that things work. Um, and I talk to a lot of people about this and in, in you talk about luck um, and luck, you know, and whether the luck's created or not, you know, I can't tell people enough. So many times luck's just derived from showing up, doing or asking the flipping question. 
right? Where most people stop and most people don't continue. You show up and you get handed a house that you flip and you quit your job and you're on this road now. Uh, how many houses are you actively flipping currently? Um, not that many, especially right now during this whole COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, yeah. So we're actually working more towards just lead generation and wholesaling. So there are people out there who do um, still want to flip houses. So we can help, you know, help them get some, get some deals for them to work on. So you're doing wholesaling too? Yes. Okay. And how many houses do you wholesale? Again, not too many. Yeah. In the Bay Area, you only really need to do like one or two to yeah. make decent capital. Um, that being said, though, I do want to you know, let it be known that it's not all sunshines and rainbows. I have been impacted uh, like when the market has turned. So we've made money and we've lost money. But again, How were you impacted when the market was turned? Um, so in 2018, the market was extremely hot here in the Bay Area. And I made some acquisitions. And then those acquisitions didn't turn out so well when we finally dispositioned them in 2019. Okay. And what was the reason behind it? Just the market overall had softened? Yeah. So basically, um, one was our own lack of experience. Two, okay. I think we over leveraged. So we use hard money for our loans. Um, there's nothing wrong with hard money. I use it all the time. But the thing was, I did too many projects at the same time. So when the market is doing really well and you're over leveraged, then you're fine because you sell all that you know, giant profits. But when the market goes down, then all those leverage. Uh, hurts you in a very negative way. And basically what happened was in 2018, we had our, you know, fires up in uh, like paradise and yeah, basically the whole market softened in late 2018, early 2019. And, you know, we were having huge carrying costs. We just have to sell it at a loss. Oh, got it. So it's not necessarily even that the deals went bad. It was just because of the carrying costs you had to exit at a bad time. So if you were still holding them, presumably they'd it'd work out fine, right? You could have just waited to sell at a better time. Exactly. If we, were, if we had the capability to buy it in cash and then you hold on to it, yeah, of course, you, you, you do fine. Okay. And it, when you're, you're, you're flipping or wholesaling, but then the whole COVID-19 thing happens, how has that affected your business now? And how, how has that affected your investing strategy? So one of the things that I've done is, again, one of the properties that I wasn't able to sell we actually converted it into an Airbnb to generate some more income while we hold okay. on to the property and wait for the market to restabilize. But of course, because of COVID-19, uh, Airbnb has taken a significant hit. That being said, we are actually still almost 100% occupied. Wow. But the rent, yeah, but the thing is our rent per uh, door has gone down a lot because we have to you know, make it cheaper. Normally right now, we could rent it out for 70 to $80 a night per room. But because of COVID-19, we're stuck at around 40, which is what we were getting back in the winter. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. So you're, you're able to occupy, but your revenues are for sure hit. Um, are you looking to take advantage of this opportunity? Are you looking to go out and buy homes? What, talk to me about next steps here. What are, what's your plans? We're still making offers, but of course, we're finding that sellers don't really want to sell their homes now if they don't have to. Because you know why would you sell at a dip at a huge discount if you... If you don't need to, you have your properties paid off. So we're finding it hard to actually acquire properties because on the one hand, sellers don't want to sell at discount, but then uh, we don't want to acquire property at a very high price because what if the market continues to go down, right? So far, we haven't seen that happen here in the Bay Area. Prices have actually increased since last year. So we're kind of in this uh, state of limbo. We're not sure what we're going to do. Do you seeing that a lot in the market right now? You've seen a lot of people just kind of hanging out, like basically just not moving. 
Yeah. I mean, right now we've seen statistics saying that like uh, there's a drop in the number of listed homes over a 47% oh. from last year. I mean, it makes sense. People yeah. don't want to list their house yeah. during COVID-19. Yeah. And because of the whole forbearance and the fact that people won't even get uh, foreclosed or evicted until later in the year, I think September, then they're really in no real rush to sell their yeah. home. <laughs> Man. So when you look forward though, beyond COVID-19, let's say, what are you trying to grow your wholesale flipping business? Are you trying to grow your rentals that you hold? When's the last time you bought a home? Last time I purchased a home was about two years ago, 2018. Like I said, I think I spent most of 2019 doing damage control on those properties. Going forward though, you need capital to buy those buy and hold properties. And the capital is generated through wholesaling and flipping. So we were actually able to wholesale a deal in late September of 2019 and we made a 125k profit on a wholesale deal. So like they're out there, but they don't come very, very frequently. So it's just a matter of uh, doing what you gotta do to get those leads, to get those deals. Okay. So you, you still want to continue to build your holdings. Exactly. Yeah. That's a long-term plan. Okay. And, and you are need you to using build capital to get that. Or are you buying them in cash? Like if you flip a home for 50K as your take, are you going out and putting that into five homes, you know, back where you can buy them cheaper? Or are you putting it into one? For the most part, I've used leverage to purchase my buy and hold properties. Okay. The auction property was all cash. Okay. Is it still, or did you refinance it? So at the time I didn't refinance because I had no reason to, I liked the cash flow and I yeah. didn't need the cash in my pocket. So actually that one's still, uh, that's great. Free and clear. I, I bet you you're pretty appreciative of that cash flow coming in, you know, now these days. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's it, you know, to what is your total, um, let's say that your, your one you paid in cash, right? You didn't pay for it in cash. What's the total amount that you put into these three homes? Uh, off the top of my head, I mean, I put 25% down on the 251. So I'll let you guys do the math back home. And then I put down, I think 20% or so in the, uh, 80K one. Okay. Okay. So it not huge amounts, but still, you know, you put capital, but the point being is in times like this, where you now have this cash flow coming in that can pay for mortgages and your life, you know, and everything else like that to live, that's a pretty good use of capital. And uh, especially when you have these other other things going. I, I, I just, I love that you, first of all, have diversified, but that you have these holdings going on, you know, three plus years that you bought sight unseen and are still paying you today. Um, and paying you very well, especially because one of them you have, you know, uh, uh, paid out. How many times uh, do you need to fill those back up? Do you have rent or turnover or has it been pretty stable? I think our leases are in the one year range and afterwards they go from month to month. And from what I've seen, we don't have too much turnover, but I mean, if I was just a ballpark it, I would guess 18 months per tenant. Okay. Wow. That's, yeah. that's good. And it's funny that you say that, how it's good that I have those rental properties, but you have to imagine in 2018, at least early 2018, I made a lot more money from flipping homes than I did from my buy and hold properties. So when you're making like $2,000 a month net from your properties, you know, on the other side of the country, it's not as exciting as making a couple hundred thousand from doing a flip here in the Bay area. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about some things that I've, I've, I spent a lot of time on this. So I was in sales and these concepts of buying and spending capital on things where I get a return once again was always frustrating to me because it was so small in comparison to my ability to sell and make money off those sales and things like that. But that's when I found the secret sauce really is the combination. It's doing as much as you can to get the generation of the large capital but then allocating that capital into a wealth vehicle that pays you monthly, securely, will never go away because that means you can survive. Um, so many people make a lot of money and then they're gone and they can never come back. Whereas if you diversify, protect, and then two, you create a system. I mean, it may not be, you know, you may say you know, 2000 a month may not you know, be life changing now, but you know, you keep going all of a sudden in 10 years, three properties equals 40. Um, it is life changing. And, uh, you know, so it's that system that you're creating that goes. And when you tie those two things together, it's like, ster it's like economic steroids, because the capital generation uh, alongside the wealth creation in the wealth vehicle, um, it, it's like throwing you know, NOS into the engine of that wealth vehicle that speeds it up. Um, so that's what I've always done. I've either started businesses, sold or anything, and then put it into my wealth vehicle. But I know exactly what you're saying. When, you, when you're making good money, you look back at that side thing, and you're like, ah, oh, that's not very good. But then once the money stops, they look really good. <laughs> exactly. Especially because if you're a flipper or you're an agent, you're basically only as good as your last transaction. So yep. once you stop having transactions, you're, you're dead in the water. Yep. So you're going to be very happy you have those properties that are giving you income. Yep. And an income, long story yeah. short, yeah, long story short, you need two things. You need one thing to give you those huge bursts of capital, whether that be your job or sales or sometimes commission-based stuff or flipping homes. And then you need your passive wealth building stuff, which can be um, buy and hold cash flowing properties or even dividends, you know? Yeah. Hey, this has been amazing, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, why don't you tell people where they can find you, where they can hear more about you know what you're doing and, and trying to accomplish? Uh, where should people reach out? Perfect. So you can reach out to my website, everythingrei.com. I also host a podcast where I release episodes twice a week, where I interview you know, local real estate investors and professionals to teach people more about the business and help them become real estate investing bosses. I host a YouTube channel, and I'm also a hard money lender with Conventus Lending, where we can help you guys get loans for your real estate investing projects. Awesome. Hey man, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and, and talking about what you got going on. I, you know, the contrast of your properties on the, uh, in the South compared to your, you know, the Bay area thing. It, it's, it's a great case study for people to understand different types of investing in different ways. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing that to a lot of people who either feel stuck or they don't know what to do. And no matter what your situation is, take what you got and make the best out of it and leverage it to your advantage. And you're a perfect example of doing that. So uh, thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing, sharing your knowledge. I appreciate it. AJ, it was a pleasure being on the show today. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number two freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.